0: to see all of you. For those who are regulars here, glad to see you. For those who are visiting, uh, it's great to see you. For those who are back from vacation, or maybe you're on vacation, that's why you're here. Uh, we are, we're glad to see you. Uh, uh, it is good to be back from vacation as well. Um, just want to give a shout out to all of those who uh, gave a shout out to me. How many of you love to get 40 texts while you're on vacation? <laughs> threatening text that, you know, the church is on fire, or where's why are all the police at the church? For those of you who weren't here last week, I had no idea what was going on until Genevieve picked me up and showed me the, the, the screen that showed the, the text from Gary saying, text Mark, and tell him, tell him you miss him. So even though you were forced to do that, I still felt good that you missed me, um, even if it wasn't genuine. Uh, but all of those texts, so um, I thought, you know, it'd be great to get Gary back for that, because... Um, <laughs> i laid awake that night um, wondering what are we gonna do when i get back uh if there's anything to come back to but um as i as i thought about it i thought let's text let's blow up his phone but he would probably love that and so there is one thing i know he doesn't love as much and so i challenged people last night i'd like to challenge you as well the next time you see him wherever it may be would you just walk up to him and give him a great big bear hug um so just especially if you have children just get them like in a whole row whether that's next uh week at the service at the vbs service would be great everybody we want or at the grocery store wherever it is just give him a big bear hug tell him it's from me and that would be wonderful so thanks to uh gary if you're listening for speaking look out brother look out they're coming for you uh, and thanks to all those who responded to, uh, to baptism and if you're listening online or interested in being baptized we would love for you to take that step and to help you along the way to encourage you if you got questions those are the things you ask them we would love to walk that through with you so um this morning i uh, want to uh I want to talk about how the little things affect our lives in big ways. The little things that affect our lives in big ways. So uh, last weekend, as I was traveling up to Parry Sound to visit my parents... I had to stop multiple times to put air in the tire uh, of our van. And uh, the warning light had been on quite a bit. And uh, so we'd filled it up a few times. And uh, then I decided finally on Friday, I got to get this thing fixed because it was right down to nothing. And so I went there and this was the culprit or, or not this guy exactly, but one of his brothers uh, was, was the culprit. And not even a whole finishing nail. And I blame my trimmers for leaving finishing nails on my d- brand new driveway. But um, this was the culprit or just a piece of it, like just a couple millimeters of a finishing nail had uh, found its way into my tire, and what I realized from that is that that little thing has the, the potential to cause some some great big uh, some great big problems. It's not always big problems. Like for for, for instance, I just want to leave you with, you know four four thoughts. D- the, this has the ability to deflate, uh, and so you know as um, it was it was deflating this tire, and so it's that feeling that you get when you know oh it's running low. You know, we can have that even, even personally where it's that, that feeling of, oh, you kind of running running on low, running on empty. But this thing also has the ability to delay because I had to pull over multiple times and instead of a four-hour journey, it became a five, some traffic, some trying to fill up the tire. Um, it delayed the journey to where we were trying to go. Also found that sometimes, um, maybe not for us because we're wise enough to change it in time, but have you ever had a flat tire on the side of the road or you saw somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road? It's like it's debilitating It has the potential, this tiny little thing has the potential to debilitate uh, and leave you stuck, stranded on the side of the road. And then it also has the uh, ability to destroy, uh, something that we don't always think about or realize. Um, This is Gregory Townsend, he's a U.S. war vet. He stopped on the side of the road to help somebody who had a flat tire to change their tire and he was hit by another driver and he he lost his life. Something so small can cause something. As I looked that up, I remembered hearing that story. As I looked it up, I found it happened over and over and over again. There's a pastor from South Carolina named Brian Walker. Him and his buddy had stopped to, uh, uh, they had a flat tire, and as they were fixing their flat tire, they were run into it by a drunk driver, and both of them were killed. It happened in Toronto just a couple of years ago. It happens more than we know. And We think, man, one small little thing, potentially something like this, has the ability to destroy to that level. And for me, as I looked at my, uh, as I drove the van, I realized that warning light had been on for a while. I had ample time to change it. In, in my, in, in my uh, experience, this time, it was only delay and deflate and delay. That's as far as it got. It didn't get to debilitate. It wasn't stuck on the side of the road. It didn't get to destroy, but how often it can. And so, what I want to talk about this morning is something uh, of similar, similar implication in our lives. And so, I want to just go back to last week for a, uh, for a minute. For those of you who are last week, Gary so, uh, so well described the story of, or the account of Jesus. With this, uh, with this woman at the temple. And just so to bring you back, and for those who weren't here last week, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, uh, John is an eyewitness follower of Jesus, so he was at this event as he watched this happen. He, he tells us about it in this way. He says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, uh, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd There was a crowd that gathered around to see what Jesus was going to do. And they sat down and he taught them. Can you picture it? There's Jesus with a crowd of people around him sitting in the temple early in the morning, teaching them. And as he was speaking, all of a sudden the teachers of religious law and some Pharisees, they arrived and they brought a woman with them who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her right in front of the crowd. Caught her in the act and said, here she is, put her right in front of the crowd. And they said, teacher. They said to Jesus, this this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says we're to stone her. What do you say? Jesus, we want to know what you have to say about this woman. Jesus, we want to know what you, um, how you would judge this woman. We know how Moses said to judge this woman. What do you say? How do you say we're supposed to judge this woman? Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something. Trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. What were they trying to do? They're here in the temple. Just a few feet away from them is the law of Moses in that, in that hallowed building of theirs. They knew, they knew that law. They honored this God. And here's the Pharisee saying, Jesus, are you going to go against the words of Yahweh? Are you going to go against that? Knowing if he does, he loses the crowd. They said, or are you going to condemn her like you should? Condemn her to death and we'll be glad to do the honor of removing her from the planet. But it's going to be on your word And we know if you say that, you're going to lose the crowd. So it was like, win-win. Either way, we got him. We got him. They were trying to trap him. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't answer them. Like the story goes, he stoops down, he begins to write in the dirt. We don't know what he's writing. And it says in verse 7, they just kept hounding him, like demanding, hey, don't don't try and write in the dust or doodle or whatever you're doing. We we want you to answer this question. It says they demanded an answer. So he stood up and he said, all right. And I would say in his, his answer, he says, all right. The action of this woman is condemnable. You guys are right. The action is condemnable. Uh, But he says something that we've heard many times. He says, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Yes, her action is condemnable, but let's talk about you. And if if you're sinless, why don't you toss the first stone? And then he just got down back in the dirt and started doodling again. It says, when the accusers heard this, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. You know, can you imagine? They're up there. They're like, we got him. We got him. We got it. We're we're so, we're so right. We're so right. And all of a sudden, Ooh, we're so wrong. And this crowd, we wanted to witness this. We don't want them to witness this. Drop a stone back in their pocket and kind of blend back into the crowd. One by one, it says, they slip away, beginning with the oldest until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. See, I often thought that that story, he's just left with the woman alone there, but they they weren't. The crowd was still there. They're all silently watching what is happening and what's going to happen after this. You know, we came to see teaching. We didn't come to see somebody get stoned. Verse 10, it says, Then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman in front of this crowd, Hey, where are your accusers? Remember that word for, it's not yellow, but remember the word accusers. Where's your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Didn't even one of them condemn? The word condemn means, didn't they judge you worthy of punishment? And I think the most important word in that sentence is the word you. Because they came and they condemned the act. And he, Jesus would agree, yes, the act is condemnable. But he said, did any of them condemn you as a person? She said, you know what? No. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said those words, neither do I. I don't condemn you either. So go and sin no more. And there's more to this story. Because for some, we look at the story and think, oh, you know, Jesus just, he's letting her off the hook. He's like, oh, you know, and some thought, well, if, uh, if, if Jesus says, hey, I don't condemn you, then it's okay to sin. But he doesn't say that. He simply says to her, listen, you know, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. But go and leave your life of sin, which is another way of saying, hey, come follow me. Leave that life behind. You can't do that on your own. Come follow me. But there's more to this story than just this story. This story wasn't just, oh, here happened to be this moment it mentions that they were trying to trap him and the reason they're trying to trap him goes back to the week before. And John tells us about it in John chapter seven and I wanna show you the bookends of this story and talk about a little bit of a different side than what Gary talked about last week. And so if you go back to John chapter seven, in John chapter seven, it talks about how Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day and that was a problem for some of the people. They watched as a man came to, just came to church one Sunday with a crippled hand and Jesus healed that man and all of a sudden, people started talking They're like, whoa, some people are like, wow, that guy, he's a good man. What are they doing? They're judging Jesus. They're like, they're judging him to be a good man. They're like, he's a good man. He healed a man that we know. He healed my buddy. On the other side, there's a whole bunch of other people. He's not a good man. He's trying to deceive everyone. Can't you see? He can't be a good man. Yeah, he healed somebody, but he did it on the Sabbath. Everyone knows you're not supposed to do anything. God commanded us not to even work on the Sabbath, and and here he goes. And so what happens? They begin judging him to either be a good man or judging him to be a fraud, but they were judging him. John chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus replies to them. He says, listen, I did one miracle on the Sabbath day, and you were amazed. For some, that word means amazed. It's like in wonder. I can't, you know, wow, I can't believe it. But it's also translated, wow, I can't believe he did that. This, this, this negative side of me, he says, but he says, you work on the Sabbath too. He says, you want to point the finger at me, but he says, you know, you guys too. And they're like, when do we do that? And he's like, well, let's talk. He says, you guys obey the Moses' law of circumcision. And says, actually, this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. Verse 23, he says, for if the correct time for circumcising your son, which is the eighth day, he says, if that falls on the Sabbath... You go ahead and circumcise him so as not to break the law of Moses. He says, so why? Why should you be angry with me for healing on the Sabbath? You guys would follow the law on the Sabbath. What is wrong with me healing a man on the Sabbath? Why are you judging me to be a fraud? And this is what he says in verse 24. Would you look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly? He says, you guys are all judging. You're judging me to be good or to be a fraud. He says, but would you look beneath the surface so that you judge correctly? And the word says, judge righteously. Would you judge like God judges? That's what he's telling them to do. Look beneath the surface so you judge the way God judges. Well, the crowd gets, <laughs> they start arguing about this. And it says in verse 43, of chapter 7, so that the crowd ends up being divided about him. It's interesting to note that the word judge actually means divide and separate. That's what that word means. It's translated krino or krisis are the Greek words for it. No matter which version, which, which one of the words for judge you, you, you find, all of them have this word of separate and divide tied to it. Why? Because this idea of judging things wrongly, this tiny little thing of casting a judgment call wrongly, has the ability to divide and separate. Sometimes it's just small, sometimes it's big. But, but it, it, gives, it has the opportunity to, to divide and destroy friendships. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys churches and ultimately destroys people. That idea of judging someone wrongly is a clever tactic of the enemy. And one of the things we realize the enemy's name is accuser. He's the accuser of the, of the brothers. And it's like they said, where's your accusers? Where's the ones who are trying to divide? Where's the ones, woman, where's the ones who are trying to separate you from the planet? Where's the ones who are accusing The religious leaders, they judged Jesus too. They were pretty sure he was a fraud. And they were going to find a way not just to judge him as a fraud, but to condemn him as a fraud. Because condemn means judge them worthy of punishment, worthy of public humiliation and disdain. And can we really blame them? Because isn't it a human thing for us to want to judge other people? It's just there. I know it's in me. I'm guessing it's in you too. They're like, it's just this human thought that we want to we make a judgment call on, on people and what, they, and what they do. And so here's what happens. They bring the woman in because they know we got them, we got them. But Jesus reveals something about himself and about God that's so powerful. He says to them in verse 11 again of John 8, he says to the woman after it's all done, he says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go leave your life of sin. What is he saying? He's like, I don't condone your actions. That's the whole idea of leave your life of sin. I'm not saying sin's okay. I'm not, I'm not going against the law of Moses. That sin's hurting you. But he says, but I don't condemn you as a person. Why? Because I'm going to die and pay for those sins in a, in, in a few short weeks. I'm going to pay for those sins. That's why I don't condemn you as a person but go leave your life of sin. Jesus isn't saying it just to the woman. There's a crowd of people still standing there and they listen to these words. They had been part of the crowd who's judging whether Jesus is good or not good. They've tried to make these judgment calls. The Pharisees had been deciding whether he should be um, allowed to be uh, to continue on and, and and Nicodemus says, well, shouldn't he get a fair trial? And they're like, no, what do you mean? Are you a follower of him? No, I'm not a follower of him. Even though we know that he was a follower of him. John chapter 8 uh Verse 12, it says the rest of the story. So we know that they've been judging before. Jesus talks about it in the story with the woman. And here in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus speaks to the people once more. Can you picture it? The Pharisees have just left, dropped the rocks, and if they've left, Jesus speaks to the people who are there and says, you know what? I'm the light of the world. He just told this woman, leave your life of sin. He says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you're not going to have to walk in darkness. You're not going to have to live in that life of sin anymore because you'll have a light that leads to life. Then we find out in verse 13, the Pharisees didn't actually go that far. They dropped their rocks, slipped into the crowd, and the Pharisees in the crowd replied, Hey, hey, hey you're making claims about yourself. Your, your testimony's not valid if you're just saying things about yourself. And here's what Jesus replies to them. He says, the claims are valid even though I make them about myself, for I know where I came from, I know where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. You think you know. You think you know enough to make judgment calls. You don't know. He says in verse 15, he brings it right back again to where it started. He says, you judge me by human standards. Why? Because you're human. You judge by human standards, but I don't judge anyone. I don't judge anyone. I didn't judge that woman, and I'm not going to judge you guys who are talking to me. I didn't come to judge. He says, verse the next verse, but he says, but if I did... If I did come to judge, my judgment would be correct. He says, yours isn't because you're human, but <laughs> mine would be. And he says, it would be correct in every respect because I'm not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. And again, he just puts that thing in there. I'm not like you. I'm not human like you. This, the God, the Father, that's who I am. I'm going to judge correctly. And if I don't judge this woman, or, or the way you saw me judge this woman, that was correct. He says, there's something to be learned from it. And here's the thought this morning for us. Jesus often tried to help people judge correctly. It's multiple times where he talks about it. There's a few ways that we can uh, do it wrongly. And I think that's the thing. He's saying here, you need to judge. And if you judge, you need to judge correctly. Judge righteously because there's ways we do it wrongly. And what happens? It opens us up to hurt. It divides relationships. It hurts other people. And we're so prone to do it. It opens us up to great pain. I see it often. I see it often, I see it way too often, you know, in in my own life. That I'm just so prone to make that that one judgment call beyond. So I just want to share three quick thoughts with you. I would say this is not like a really well-crafted message. My hope this morning is in sharing things that I've seen, that if Holy Spirit puts that in your heart, then just to allow him to do in you what needs to be done. If it's words you think, oh, Mark's just saying that, well, we'll get to that in a second. Three thoughts. Three thoughts quiet this morning. It was quiet last night, too. Three ways we judge others wrongly. We judge others based on a comparison to ourselves. We judge others based on a comparison to ourselves. It's the Pharisees. It's how they, they judge this woman, right? They wanted to judge and condemn her because they felt like, hey, we're, we're better than her. We have the right to put her out in front of Jesus because we've got him. He's got nothing on us. And what happens Jesus simply forces them to look at themselves first, and it changed the narrative of the whole story. Matthew, Matthew is there as well. He would have remembered it, you know, how often Jesus talked about it. He wrote about it on the Sermon on the Mount, which is something that Jesus taught often. Matthew chapter 7, here's what, here's what Matthew wrote that, about what Jesus said. He often said to people these words, Do not judge others. Do not separate, divide, condemn others, and you will not be judged. He says, if you don't do it, it isn't going to happen to you. He says, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging, it's the standard by which you'll be judged. And he introduces that thought of sowing and reaping. He says, it's dangerous to do this because what you do to others is going to come back on you. The Pharisees got to experience it firsthand. They're going to judge this woman and all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. In front of the crowd, they're the ones who feel judged and condemned. Verse 3, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you get a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when, and then when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, he says, first, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eyes. This is Jesus' humor. This is Jesus joking with the, with the fellas and with the people on the, on, the, uh, on the mountain at this point. He's saying to them, you know, he exaggerates things. He's saying, hey, you know, with their buddies... He's like, if your friend comes up to you, he's like, hey, you got a speck in your eye? Well, here comes Dr. 2x4. Let me get it out. I got it. Okay, I promise this is going to hurt, but let me me, me get it out. All he's saying to them on that mountain that day is, hey, can we agree? Can we agree that you're going to get it wrong if you do it that way? Can we agree that you would get it wrong? Just even taking the speck out with a 2x4 in front of your face, you're going to get it wrong? He says the same thing. When you judge others without looking first at yourself, you are going to get it wrong and it is going to hurt. The story of a guy named John. John was uh, going out with his friends to an art gallery and him and his wife were, were on the way there. And uh, he wanted to impress his friends with his knowledge of art. And uh, on the way there, he realized he'd forgotten his glasses and he was really nearsighted. He could barely see it when he waved his hand in front of his face. But he decided he was just going to wing it. He'd just make abstract comments and observations as they walked through the art gallery. And as they got to the very first piece of art, he walked up to the framed print. And as he stood in front of it, he began to stroke his chin and say, Hmm, you know, I wonder why anyone would want to paint something so hideously ugly. I mean... It is a true rendering of the object, but why waste time painting such a disgusting subject? And he began to hear snickers around him, and his wife leaned up to him and said, John, it's a mirror. (laughs) So often, so often when we have to, when we're we're busy judging other people, it's, it's crazy how often the thing that we dislike or that we judge wrongly in another person, we actually find in ourselves. How often has that not been the case, you know, where that person who talks too much, they only talk too much because you want to talk more. That person who, oh, there's just so uppity, and you're just like, hey, yeah, well, I want to feel more important. Or that person who gossips too much, and you're like, oh, and then you realize, oh, wait a second, I'm telling my friends about them who gossips too much. Uh, so often we find it in ourselves, and it's why it's dangerous to judge based on our own human comparisons. It's not a safe way to judge, and we open ourselves and others up to hurt as a result. Number two, judging based on outward appearance, something we hear all the time, but there's a story of um, H.A. Uh, Ironside wrote a book called Illustrations of Bible Truth, and he tells the story of Bishop Potter I've shared this one before, but Bishop Potter was sailing for, for um, uh, Europe. He was on a great transatlantic ocean liner. Uh, he was coming from the States, heading over to, uh, to Europe. And he, uh, as he got onto the boat, he realized he'd be sharing his cabin with another person. And so he went to the purser and he asked at the desk, he says, Can I, can I leave my gold watch and my valuables with you and, uh, and put them in the, ch- the ship safe, he said? And he told the purser, you know, normally I wouldn't avail myself of this privilege. But I've been to the cabin and I've seen the man who I'm sharing the cabin with. And and just, you know, judging from his appearance, I'm afraid he might not be a very trustworthy person. So the purser accepted the watch and the valuables and remarked, it's all right, Bishop. It's all right. I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. Actually, the other man has been up here and he left his valuables for the very same reason. (laughs) We judge based on outward appearance. We get it wrong. We get it wrong. You know, the Old Testament tells the account of Samuel going to choose the new king of Israel. And Samuel, as he's about to choose the new king, he knows the family. And God says, this is the family, and I'll tell you which son when you get there. And as he goes there, he finds out there's seven sons. And the first son shows up, and he looks at him. And he's like, oh, this guy is tall, dark, handsome, strong. He looks kingly. It's got to be him. If you've been to Sunday school, you know that the story goes, it's not him. God's like, no, it's not him. And he's like, well, well, the next one, a little bit smaller, not as strong, not as dark, not as handsome, but definitely must be the king. Nope, not him. Down, 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 all the way through six. No, 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 no. Is there anyone left? Well, there's this little old scrawny kid in the field. Can't be him. Bring him in. Let's see. In comes scrawny little David. And he's like, that's the one. He's like, what? How is that the one? He says, because you don't, you don't see, you don't judge the way that I do. He says, men look at the outward appearance. He says, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. You know, those cliches, don't judge a book by its cover. It's so easy for us to say. It's so much more difficult to live. How many times have we just made a judgment call in our mind, in our brain? It's not that first thought. It's the next thought where you see somebody like, oh, okay. But how many times have we judged somebody by their race or by their gender? Or you know, or the, the thoughts of political views Or whatever it may be And all of a sudden there's this judgment That we cast on others We get it wrong How often do we get it wrong I'd ask you know, How many of you have ever been misjudged By someone before Nobody wants to put their hand up Because all of you know you've been misjudged By others before Whether you know it or not You have been misjudged But I know the reason you don't want to Is you know the next question's coming How many of you have misjudged other people no hands needed why we're so prone to it we're so pr- and it's small they're small things they're not big things it's just a thought sometimes we judge them based on our own comparison sometimes we judge people based on outward appearance and the third one here which I find to be the most common least understood is that we judge people by uh, we try and judge their their motives and their intentions And we get things wrong when we do it. We try to judge why people said things or why they did things. And we open ourselves up to hurt and disappointment and relationship uh, failure when we try to judge why. Why did they do what they did? Why did they say what they did? And you know what? The reason we want to know why, it's a human tendency. If you've been following the news this week, you see that there's two mass murders in the States. One, they got the guy alive. One, they didn't. You follow the the Canadian news, you realize that they found the bodies of the two young men who went on a murder spree and then across the country and they found them and they were hoping they would find them alive because they wanted to know why. Why would you take three innocent lives? Why would you shoot up a Walmart? Why would you, why would you, we want to know why. When someone hurts us personally, someone says something to us personally, we want to know Why? It's in us to know why, but when we judge people's motives and intentions, when we think we know why, we so often get it wrong, and we actually cause more hurt as a result. It's not that first thought. It's the afterthought. It's what's the next thought? What's the thing? It it plays itself out in so many ways. You're like, well, I don't know if I've ever seen that. How about that time somebody posts something on Facebook, and you're like, I know why they posted that. They posted that about me. And so you begin to respond. (laughs) And they're like, whoa, what happened? I didn't mean that about, yes, you did. I know why. Y- you don't know why. You know, well, she gave me a funny look at church. She must think she's prettier than me. <laughs> he walked right by me and didn't even say hi. What a jerk. You know, he, he must think he's better than me. They didn't return my call or my text. I know they got it. It said delivered and it said read. They must. They must. You know, that person, they're so full of themselves. That's why they talk down to everybody else. That's they just look down on everyone else. Ah, uh, those people, they're they're poor. That's why they do that. Or those people, it's because they're rich, that's why they do that. Sometimes it's not so far out, it's close. Husbands and Judging wives and why they did something or why they said something. Parents judging their kids. This is I know why you did that. I know why you said that. People judging the pastor. I know why he's talking about this. I know why he said that. Judging people in church or judging the whole church as a whole. Well, I know why they do that. I know why they say that. The truth is, you might be right. You might be right. But the key word in that sentence is might. Because chances are real good you might be wrong. Even more likely that you are wrong, that you don't know why somebody said or did something, and it actually makes the event even that much more hurtful. Because it's easy to misjudge actions. It's even easier to misjudge words. My wife and I, we've been married for 15 years. I forgot that last night. She corrected me, and I realized we have been married for 15 years. And even as a result of being married that long, there's still times where I'll say something, and she'll be like, I'm like, whoa, hun. whatever you thought you heard, I meant it the other way. You know, that was a compliment. You know, that, and it's like, it, it's what is it? That's the filter. I know why you said that. And it was, it was evil intent. And, and, and it's not. How many of the times it's like, when you get something in written form, you get a text that says things like, hey, we need to talk, call me. You know, that can mean so many different things. It could be like, they're angry. Hey, we need to talk. You're in big trouble, mister. You know, or maybe they're worried. Hey, I'm going through a lot. I just need someone to to listen. We need to talk. Maybe it's friendly. Hey, hey, bud, it's been a while. We haven't chatted. I haven't seen you in a while. Give me a call. We need need to catch up. Or maybe it's scared. The pregnancy test came back positive. We need to talk. Or excited. I just got engaged. I want you to be my maid of honor. We need to talk. It's the same words every time. Hey, we need to talk, call me. But it's when we judge the intention of it, judge the intention of the emotion that those words were written in. It's where we often get it wrong. We often read things in, in printed form. We read it in the emotion that we are in, not in the emotion that it was sent in. We read it in the intention that we are in, not in the intention it was sent in. If there's only one thing you remember today, I hope you remember that one. Because it may save you piles of grief in the future as you go forward, realizing that certain things that are said or or done, realizing the why, you don't know the why. You can ask, but you don't know it. James chapter four, verse 10 says this. James, the brother of Jesus wrote, humble yourselves before the Lord. He'll lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, he says, then you're criticizing and judging God's law, but your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He says, he alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? And the thought comes in, well, what do we do? Well, if we don't judge what they're doing, who's going to? You know, does that mean we just let them get away with hurting us? Do we let them get away with hurting others? Do we let them get away with saying that? Mark, do we let them get away with sin? James tells us what's confirmed throughout the scriptures that there is a judge who will judge rightly. There is a judge who will judge rightly and we're not him. We're not him. God's the only one who, will ju- who actually knows the motives of the heart. So you might think, I know why they did or why they said, but you don't. But he does. He does. And the truth is that he will judge them for the words they say and for the actions that they've done. That is true. But the truth is also that he'll judge us for our words and for our, our actions, and it's that thought of listen. It's looking looking towards you, um, yourself first. There's a story of of, of Babe Ruth once playing uh, baseball, and the umpire calls him out calls him out on strikes, and he is upset because he knows that the last the last pitch was not a strike; it was a ball. And so he begins to 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 listen as thousands of people in the crowd also cheer and boo that, that this that was a ball, that was a ball, and so so. Babe Ruth gets a little bit of courage and he turns to the the umpire and he says, there's thousands of people here who know that last pitch was a ball, you tomato head. I love their disrespectful comments back then. (laughs) And everybody sees in that moment thinking Babe's going to get ejected from this game. As Babe Ruth stands there thinking he's going to get ejected from the game, the umpire just says to him, maybe so, Babe, but my opinion is the only one that matters. My opinion is the only one that counts. And when it comes to God, it's true, same thing. It's, only, it's his, it's his um, opinion, it's his judgment. That's the only one that's going to be 100% right, 100% of the time. He's the only one with all knowledge, with all wisdom. He's the only one who knows. And it says that, you know, Jesus, who, who shows us the heart of the Father, says, I didn't come to judge and I didn't come to condemn to separate the world. I came to save it. I didn't come to cast judgment on people. He, you know, the... the Later on in John, he says, I'm not even going to judge the people who hear my words and don't believe them. I'm not going to judge them. He says, it's not why I came. That word will judge them someday when they realize, oh, I had truth and I didn't listen to it. That word will judge them. He says, but that's not why I came. I didn't come to judge people. And the truth is this. There are actions that are condemnable. There are actions and there are track records and things that you can look at and say, you know what, uh, we can judge those, those actions to be wrong. But when we take it from the action to the person and we begin to judge the person, we've crossed a line we were never meant to cross. So this morning, this morning, if you're here today and you're like, oh, I don't really like the sound of God being a judge. I don't know if I like that thought all that much. Can I just say this? But the truth is that God is a judge. And his responsibility is is just to determine one thing. Is this person a sinner or not? And we all can sit here and go, well, that's a really easy decision to make for him. If we're honest, we all can look back in our own lives and say, yeah, I've made some mistakes. I've made some mistakes a whole lot of times. I don't know if I can call them mistakes. I planned to make some of those mistakes. Some of them I knew that they were wrong and I did them anyways. I know there's something broken inside of me. There's, I, I, let, I let myself down sometimes of things I think I want to do, and then I just don't do it. This is The Bible and, and God calls that sin. And if, we, if we're honest, if we have to admit it, we would just simply say, God, okay, yeah, you're right. If you got to decide if I'm a sinner or not, I'm, I, I can just decide it for you. Yes, I'm a sinner. And we think that that's what God's judgment is all about. He decides you're a sinner and now comes the punishment. It's the punishment part that's hard for him. It's the part where he says, I love this person so much, and yet their sin deserves a punishment, a punishment that's been set before time began. That the, the wages of sin, the punishment of sin is death. I have to hand down a death sentence to this person, this person that I love. This, I don't condone their actions, but I love them. And so, what does the judge do? What does God, as the, the, the great judge, do? He says, Yes, that is sin. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are deserving of death. Boom. Then he gets off the judge's table. and He comes down. He says, hey, I love you. Yes, you're a sinner, but I'm willing to take your punishment for you. Yes, you've got a death sentence, but I'll take it for you. If you'd like me to be your substitute, I will be your substitute. And that's the key. (laughs) He gives them the choice. He gives you and me the choice. Will you receive the substitute? I picture it like this. It's like getting in the ring with Brock Lesnar or any other UFC fighter and saying, okay, it's you against them. You get in the ring with death itself and see if you survive. I don't like your chances. I don't like my chances for sure. He says, you know what? I'll go in that ring for you. And I'd be like tagging out every time. Yes, yes, yes. But that's the choice that he gives us. Simply to say, you know what? I know that the righteous judge of the earth is judging right. But yeah, I want that substitute. I want salvation, Jesus. I don't want to have to pay for that, that penalty. I put my trust in you instead. He's putting that on the table for you this morning. And for those of you who are Jesus followers, those of you who are like, you know what? I want to follow Christ. His command, his word is to love one another. And it's lived out in one of these ways of simply don't judge one another, he says. Don't, don't judge one another because you get it wrong. So often you get it wrong. And so I just want to go back to where we started this morning. And I'm not preaching at you as much as I'm preaching to me, that these little things... These little things have the ability, these little things called judgment have the ability to deflate, to delay, to debilitate, to destroy our lives. That little attitude of judging others wrongly. Today's message is simply to say, hey, the warning light might be on. And if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, you know what? That's me. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Feel free to judge this message. You may. You may. You may judge these words whether they are true or not true and you should You shouldn't just take it at face value. Feel free to judge these words, but be careful about judging the person behind them. Be careful about judging the person behind them. You know, the thing, the thought, is that that little judgment has the ability to deflate. And it's what happens for so many, it just simply deflates, it just takes the joy out of living. It's like you make these judgment calls about people and you know, it, 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 You see people walking around with, with a, a loss of joy simply as a result of they make judgment calls about people and nobody really wants to be around them. And they kind of, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad thing. It's, it's a simple, small thing. For others, it's delaying your life. You know, it's costing you valuable time in relationships with other people that you can't get back. How many times have you made a judgment call about somebody and then later on you find out, oh, that wasn't right? And like, man, I could, have, I, I could have had a much happier year of marriage had I just known this. I could have, our friendship could have been way better had I just known, but I didn't. I made a judgment call and it's delayed, something that I can't get back. For others, it debilitates. It's those thoughts, they consume your thoughts. You even hear the word, mother-in-law, and it's on in your mind. You've made judgment calls about why and who and what. And for some, it actually has the potential to destroy. Destroy relationships where you think, we have seen marriages fall apart simply because they, they know why he said that. They know why she did that. And it just makes the, the event even that much more dangerous. But you know what else can happen? When those judgment calls are spinning around in our brain, they don't stay there. They move from our brain to our tongue. And too often I find myself speaking words that I wish I could take back. Judgment calls that I made that I, that I don't know the full story. For some, we don't realize the power of the gospel to change people's lives. And we make judgment calls about them pre-Jesus. Before they, before they you know, he's, the change that he could make in their hearts in life or just even in a day. Even in a day. You know, if, Paul, if people had seen Paul before you know, when he was running around murdering Christians and made judgment calls about him, boy, would they have been wrong. They might not have been wrong about the actions, but they would have been wrong about the man. And I want to encourage you with these thoughts this morning, because I find myself doing that. I had to look in the mirror this week after some thoughts and some things, realizing that, I, yeah, I've made little judgment calls in my life that have turned into negative words, made things that, that, that can, uh, it just can cause damage, and I don't want to see that happen in my life anymore. And I don't want to see it happen in yours. But this morning, my hope is just that if, it's, if that's something that triggers in your heart, that you allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And for some, you think, oh, no, I know why he preached this message. <laughs> you, you don't know why. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> but I would encourage you. I would encourage you in the thought of judging rightly. It's looking at ourselves first and making less judgments, realizing the righteous judge of the world will do right. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words, even though they mess with me sometimes, even though uh, discipline correction isn't, isn't easy for me. I'm grateful for the fact that I, I can trust your goodness and I can trust your love. Thank you for this great family that you've put together. Ah, just to be your body, to be brothers and sisters. Lord, we gotta stand together just as a family against anything that would try and destroy, anything that would try and sneak in, any small things. God, would you make us aware of them in us? Would you change in us what needs to be changed that the, the world might see the unity and, and the goodness of, um, of who you are? And would they see uh, love lived out in a way that just powerfully affects our lives? Lord, help us as we leave this place to realize we're not leaving you here, that your presence is with us. So we'd be aware of your presence in our, in our day-to-day and things we do and in our conversations. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives this week. So we live them out with you and for you. It's in your beautiful name that I pray. Amen.